Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hello again, this is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. Thanks for joining us. I am Don Payne, your host. We are glad you're with us. And before we get started with this week's interview, I want to give a shout out to all of our staff here at Denver Seminary. And the reason for that is that these folks do more than uh, meets the naked eye to make seminary education happen here at Denver Seminary, and they get very little praise um, at, at risk of um, an, an, an inappropriate uh, comparison. I want to compare them maybe to the offensive line on a football team. There would be no game without them, but they just don't get the recognition they deserve. Uh, whether they're in our business office or IT or educational technologies or the library or the maintenance staff, uh, these folks are, are true heroes around here, and I want to thank them publicly for what they do. Uh, and in many cases, though you could probably guess this, in many cases, uh, these folks have skill sets that would allow them to do a lot better for themselves financially in other places than they do here um, and we're especially grateful for that. I know they don't, uh, they don't necessarily do that because they think this is ministry and that's not. It's all ministry. That's one message we preach around here a lot. Uh, but they've chosen to serve the Lord here, and we're really grateful they have. So shout out to all our staff at Denver Seminary. Now to uh, the topic for this week. There, uh, there are some points of emphasis, some frequent points of emphasis these days in theological education and in the broader culture. Those points of emphasis have to do with culture, cultural sensitivity, cultural adaptability, cultural awareness, multiculturalism, etc. And in our ever-changing and rapidly changing world, those virtues, uh, those cultural virtues, may be more important than ever. And many of us, I suspect, know firsthand the benefits of immersion in cultures other than our own. Uh, we could go on for quite some time about how transformative and how crucial those experiences are. A few years ago, I had uh, one of my most beneficial and surprising cross-cultural experiences, and that's the background for our conversation this week. Now, this particular cross-cultural experience of mine was surprising uh, because it's not the type of cross-cultural experience that most people I know would tend to put in that category of cross-cultural. It was, in fact, an intensive course that I audited in rural ministry. And our guest this week uh, runs and oversees that course. His name is Ron Clausen, and Ron is the executive director of the Rural Home Missionary Association in Morton, Illinois. You can find them at rhma.org and get a lot more information about them. Ron, welcome to Engage 360. Thank you. Good to see you again, Don. It is good to uh, to see you as well. Ron, I think you are also the author, are you not, of No Small Places? No Little Places. No Little Places. Uh-huh. Okay. And also Leading Through Change, uh, Shepherding the Town and Country Church in a New Era. So there's a couple of books out there. Good. We may uh, come back to those and and remind people of them. Ron, uh, as we're recording this, Ron is on our campus for a couple of days to connect with students who may be interested in taking that course. Uh, Denver Seminary is one of uh, several seminaries around the country who partner with uh, RHMA uh, to provide a a really high quality uh, uh, credit-based course 
for rural ministry, which very few seminaries are able to do on their own, so we partner with our HMA for that. The course that he offers, that they offer there and he oversees, is called the TACT course, T-A-C-T, which I think stands for Town and Country Training. Is that, do I have that right? That's correct. Town and Country Training, the TACT course. And this is a one-week intensive that's about half uh, classroom-based work and half field immersions uh, that where it basically teaches people how to, how to minister in rural environments. So I've got some specific questions uh, about that, Ron, but tell us, um, tell us a bit about RHMA, how you got started with them, and then the TACT course in particular. Well, RHMA's mission is to plant and strengthen churches in small towns across the U.S. Uh, so we have staff uh, that are located in small towns all over the country. We have our home office in Morton, Illinois, where you came and took our, our TACT class. Which, which, by the way, has to be the cleanest, most well-manicured small town I have ever seen. I, I don't know what the deal is. They have some kind of city regulation there, but I didn't see a single uncut, un groomed blade of grass in that whole town yeah there's there's uh there used to be a, a reporter in nearby peoria with the the peoria journal star that said that folks in morton uh when when their streets get dirty they don't sweep them they repave them <laughs> and uh he dared anybody to find any dandelions in anybody's lawn in in our town so <laughs> okay. it's kind of a perfectionistic community yeah interesting but go ahead well, uh, I got involved in rural ministry uh, very unexpectedly. I grew up in Phoenix. I grew up in a mega church. Uh, rural ministry was not Ron's wonderful plan for his life. Yeah. But uh, when I got to my last year of seminary and I knew I wanted to head into pastoral ministry, I was thinking city church, maybe number five guy on a five-member staff or something. Uh, but I found out that virtually all the opportunities for new graduates that are w looking for pastorates were out in smaller communities and smaller churches. And so we ended up in, in rural Nebraska, and that was the beginning of what's now been more than 30 years of, of rural ministry. Along the way, we found out that we love rural people, we love the culture, uh, and uh, the Lord gave us a real heart for uh, the spiritual needs that we saw out there in rural America. What's the history of RHMA? So RHMA was founded in 1942, um, and uh, it was founded by uh, a man in central Illinois who uh, saw that rural places were being uh, neglected because there was a huge movement of people to the cities. This was kind of the World War II era and uh, manufacturing and all was really ramping up in the cities and he saw that uh, a lot of rural places were being forgotten and uh, you know that's really been true even through the years um, which uh, makes it more important than ever maybe for RHMA to uh, be focused uh, on rural communities. Yeah I, I have to tell you I, I think I've told you this before but in the years that we have been uh, associated with RHMA and the TACT course, uh, we've had um, we've had a, a quite a number of students, at least by my count, take the TACT course. And to a person, I have received nothing but the highest praise for that. In fact, in some a couple of cases, I I can recall uh, students here who actually grew up on farms and thought they knew it all, but took the course for whatever reasons and then came back and were quite surprised at what they learned because while 
while much that they had experienced was familiar to them experientially, they never had any language for it or any concepts for it. And it, they, they were surprised to find what a, what a deep and significant learning experience it was for them, even having grown up rural. Hmm. Oh, very glad to hear you say that. And, and yes, I mean, sometimes when you grow up in a place, you don't necessarily take a step back and, and study that place. You just kind of take a lot of things for granted because it's what's familiar to you. So that's helpful, but it's also helpful to understand that there are so many different kinds of rural communities out there today uh, so that it, even if you're from a rural community and you're going to go and minister in a rural community, it could actually be a cross-cultural experience, very different from what you were raised in. Uh, I, yeah, I want you to talk more about that because with many of the sociological shifts that we're seeing, um, particularly in the last few decades, rural is not rural is not rural. Uh, so what are some of those different types of rural that you're aware of now? Yeah, stereotypically we think of rural as being farms and, and animals, and certainly that's, uh, that's very much uh, a, a key part of rural America today. But it might interest uh, our listeners to, to know that uh, about 94% of the rural labor force today is non-agricultural in nature. So uh, there are lots of people that have moved into rural America in recent years. They call it the rural, re r rural rebound, rural renaissance. And uh, uh, you have different ethnicities. Uh, you have uh, people are moving to rural America for lots of different reasons. And uh, so we actually like to use the word rurals, uh, almost plural, because yeah. there are, there's so much diversity out there. I think of right where I live in central Illinois, we talked about our community being kind of a uh, perfectionistic uh, bedroom community, uh, 15 minutes away, a blue-collar community, very different. A uh, few minutes from there uh, is a, a medical community, one of the most unique small towns that I've ever been in. I Eight, remember going there. Yeah. 850 people. Uh, people regularly pass our huge hospital in Peoria and go to the hospital in that community because it's just got an incredible reputation. Uh, three miles down the road from there is an elevator town, grain elevator, right smack dab in the middle of town. Go a few minutes from there, college town. Uh, it's actually the college home of Ronald, President Ronald Reagan. Uh, there's a tourist town because we live along the river. There's a prison town close by. Everything I've just mentioned is less than 30 minutes from where I live. So that says something about the diversity you see in rural America today. Yeah, and many of the ministry problems, many of the, the social problems are quite similar, are they not, to what uh, is found in the larger cities? Absolutely. Uh, one of the... Uh, one of the things that's happening, trends that's happening, is that uh, we call them the new rural poor are actually moving into mm. many rural communities. Mm. Uh, these are essentially inner city poor who desperately want to relocate, probably for their family's sake. And they, there are incentives the government offers to do that. And so they've relocated in a lot of rural communities uh, across the country. So uh, that brings the city into rural communities. But uh, uh, even beyond that, there are uh, many uh, similarities, uh, many indicators of spiritual problems and challenges among rural people that uh, maybe wasn't so much the case years ago. I think when I, 
this is one of the big shocks for me when I moved to rural. I, I kind of had this view of rural being Mayberry and uh, kind of thought sin, kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek, ends at the city limits. And yeah. it's kind of, you know, just a uh, Norman Ross, Rockwell-esque out there in rural country. Um, but really, that's not true. Um, so many statistics from... Uh, substance abuse, um, alcohol abuse, three times what you see in, in rural young people, or three times in, among rural young people what you see in their city counterparts. Uh, just about every family disintegration statistic uh, is at least as bad, if not worse, in, in rural America. Uh, the suicide rate among farmers for many years uh, was second of all job classifications. Really? Just a few months ago, it entered, it became number one. So uh, there's a lot of despair among certain people in rural communities. Um, just a lot of indicators of, of spiritual need. Uh, certainly the statistics of how many attend church or, or identify with a church uh, closely mirror what you would see in the city. Uh, one of the shocks for Roxy and me when we moved out to rural America from the city years ago, uh, we found that there, was, there were many communities around the country that lacked a vibrant, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-teaching church. We could look up and down the road from where we were in Nebraska and name community after community. And all of that was shocking to us because mm. uh, we were well aware of the spiritual needs in the city, but we just had a whole different picture of what it was like out there in, in rural communities. Wow. I gather that many of the seminary students who go to take the TACT course, at least the, the majority probably, are not from rural environments. They are people who have spent m most of their time in larger cities. And I, I know we have to generalize pretty grossly here when we even talk about cities because that's not any one thing. But many of the people who take the TACT course and who may eventually find themselves in some rural environment for their ministry do not have that as their background. So when they come to take the TACT course and they do the immersion, uh, what patterns, I'm curious, what patterns have you seen about the, the biggest surprises they have when they enter, when they really learn, not just drive through yeah. a rural environment? Yeah. Um, well, it, it, you are correct that uh, uh, a number of our students are not from rural communities. And the truth is that uh, about half of uh, new grads from seminaries like Denver that go into uh, smaller communities uh, are not from rural or small towns. Uh, they're from city backgrounds. So uh, certainly I would say one of the, the biggest uh, surprises to them is how cross-cultural uh, ministry is, even though you might say, well, this is America, and you might say they speak English, and, and who knows what you might be thinking, but, uh, uh, but yet it's very cross-cultural. And uh, I know that that was, that was a real surprise for, for Roxy and me when we moved out there. We found people that uh, 
just their thought processes are different. Uh, they dress different. We found that our wardrobe now qualified for what not to wear <laughs> okay. on TV, yeah. uh, the TV program. Uh, we found that even language was different. Uh, it's true they spoke English, but their, how they used words and, and uh, just all kinds of language out there that we had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, we found that, uh, of course, uh, their work was way different than what we were accustomed to. I remember when I one of, we were there just a few days, and uh, a rancher invited me to come out and work cattle with him. Well, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, probably one of the hardest things was uh, recreation. Uh, they played different than what we did, and you'd think, well, that can't be that hard, can it? But, you know, when it gets to that level where you can't even recreate in ways that are familiar to to you, uh, for them it was uh, maybe rodeoing on a Sunday afternoon or going out and shooting clay pigeons. And yeah. I'd, I'd never done any of those kinds of things. And, and just some of their mannerisms, uh, things. I, I had a guy come up to me from our church, a uh, uh, neat guy, but he'd be, we'd been there a couple weeks and he said, uh, how come you don't wave to me when I when we pass each other on the road? Well, in Phoenix, we never, yeah, yeah, we never waved thing, each huh? other. Uh, <laughs> and even something as simple as a use of a car horn. You know, why do you use a car horn here in Denver? Uh, you're probably mad at somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, a, a use of a car horn in rural communities is a friendly gesture, a greeting, you know, to somebody that you're passing on the road. Yeah. And uh, you think, wow, that's 180 degrees difference. One's friendly and the other's anger. And it's the same horn. And it, it just it's that that's such a good image of how I think ministry sometimes in rural places should maybe be approached almost 180 degrees different mm-hmm. from what you might find mm-hmm. in a city. And and in no way is that disparaging how you do ministry in the city. It's just saying we're in a different culture, and that's a real adjustment I think for our our students to mm-hmm. to kind of get their arms around. Well, one, uh, and, and I'm kind of a small town boy. I did not grow up rural, but grew up in small towns. And so, you know, some of what I experienced was yeah, kind of vaguely familiar to me, but I had never really thought about it uh, the way y'all helped me think about that during the course. And one of the reasons I came away from the TACT course really convinced and impressed with what a valuable cross-cultural training it was is uh, kind of in keeping with what you already mentioned, and that is that you can go into that not really thinking it's going to be all that cross-cultural. Where where you might, you know, we might go to uh, another country, go abroad somewhere, and be expecting uh, to, to have some of our sensibilities go haywire, but, but because we've been briefed on that, and we expect that cross-cultural experience to to really grow, go at cross-purposes with a lot of our intuitions. But you go into rural America, and you're not really expecting that kind of thing to happen, and then you're shocked at how really, really different it is if your sensibilities have been conditioned by city life. Exactly. And uh, as all that's happening, if, if you, it would have helped me immensely if somebody – somewhere along the way before I went into a rural community would have just said, this is going to be cross-cultural, expect it, uh, and uh, it'll be okay. You're going to, you're going to be able to work through it. Uh, And when you get to the other side, 
you're actually going to be comfortable in your new culture. It would have been helpful if somebody would have said that to me, and but nobody did, and consequently, I was I went into culture shock, uh, which oh. you would ex- kind of expect maybe a missionary to do if you go overseas somewhere, right, right. Uh, but. And I didn't even really know it for what it was. I I, I just, I, I was beyond my understanding. I couldn't hardly uh, put my arms around what was going on with me. And it would have been just helpful to have a little bit of cross cultural training. And and uh, I, I could have, I, I would have just been comforted to know this is normal. This is what happens when you go into a new ministry like this. It's going to be okay. Uh, don't worry about it. Just kind of relax and and uh, learn your culture. And if people laugh at you because you do something kind of crazy because you don't understand your culture, yeah. just laugh with them. It's okay. They're not making fun of you. Uh, it, it's it's going to be okay. And the other side of it is, uh, sadly, uh, cultural arrogance can set in um, where you you have or I may mean, I should speak for myself I had kind of a perspective of wow these people really need to learn how to do things correctly uh, aren't they fortunate that I'm here to show them how to do it yeah, right yeah and uh, kind of speak and relate to them from a air of superiority uh, and uh, uh, that's not helpful when you go into a ministry. Um, what we have to realize is that there are different ways to do ministry, different ways to have impact in ministry, and uh, uh, it's not necessarily our job to go and try to change a lot of things, but maybe to try to work within the cultural mores as, as they are. I, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I've, I've noticed that for quite a number of years that— um, because so many of our, our resources and uh, media that are ministry-related come out of more uh, of, you know, larger city urbanized environments, there is a, maybe a subtle but a very real condescension mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's struck me that, that provincialism or small-mindedness mm-hmm. really runs both ways. Exactly, it runs both ways. Exactly, um, uh, some some of those who, at least I've interacted with, who whose uh, worldview and sensibilities has have only been shaped by large city life can have sometimes just as narrow a view or a constricted view of the world as somebody uh, in a who's grown up in the country. Exactly, and and it can end up being a collision course. Yeah, uh, I was very fortunate. I had a church that was very patient with me, forgiving. They were kind of laid back and kind of let me make some mistakes, and I really appreciated that. But sometimes that doesn't happen, and it doesn't end well. It, it ends, unfortunately, and it doesn't yeah. end well. Yeah. And uh, uh, sometimes pastors leave kind of shaking their head like, maybe I'm not cut out for being a pastor. Uh, maybe I just got it all wrong here with God's mm. calling on my life. And uh, just some simple cross-cultural training, I think, could have made all the difference Go in the world. Way. Yeah, I mean, we expect yeah. this with missionaries. And uh, uh, when you think about it, we provide specialized 
training for certainly missionaries, but we have youth ministry tracks, we have inner city tracks, we have yep. uh, outdoor ministry tracks. Doesn't it make sense to have uh, at least a course out there that is available for what's likely to be the first ministry for many graduates uh, going into the pastorate? Yeah, well, again, that's why I'm so excited about what y'all are doing with the uh, with the TACT course through uh, RHMA, and you you just do a stellar job of it. And that's uh, one of the reasons I wanted to to talk with you uh, on the podcast was to get that a little bit of profile and for you know, listeners anywhere, whether you're connected with uh, Denver Seminary or any seminary, uh, if you know anybody who uh, could benefit from the kind of uh, resources that uh, RHMA is offering through the TACT course. And I think you have some other courses as well, some more advanced courses. Uh, by all means, look, refer them to RHMA and um, well, take, even uh, avail yourself of those. Or go directly. You can certainly go to RHMA.org. That's our website, mm-hmm. and that'll link you to our TACT program. But you can also go to TACTprogram.org, and we have a whole website just dedicated to this program. Good, good. Ron, what do you, what do you find most interesting about rural ministry? Hmm. Speaking for myself, and, and maybe it's not so much uh, strictly rural, but just remote and small population, okay. uh, which could happen with missionaries that maybe go to a remote tribe somewhere halfway around the world. Uh, I think what has been so intriguing to me is that there is the real possibility and uh, I'd even like to say likelihood that one can have at least as great of impact and influence in a small place as you can have in a much bigger place. I think it's very tempting uh, or very natural to think, well, why would you go to a little place when you can go to the city and you can reach thousands of people Mm -hmm. for Christ? Um, Hence the name of your book, There Are No Little 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 Places, places, right? Yeah. Um, I think even our Lord, people were kind of baffled in his day. he, we're told in Luke chapter 13 that as he was making his way toward Jerusalem, he stopped along the way and talked to people in the small towns and in the countryside. And uh, in that context, somebody who was probably questioning his ministry strategy asked the question, so Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Like, why don't we hurry up and get to Jerusalem yeah. where all the people are, yeah, you let's know? Let's get this thing going. Uh, yeah. And it's easy to have—I had that kind of perspective, and, and it's it's easy to go there. But uh, something that I've realized is that uh, how many people are there in cities that know or th- that win thousands of people to Christ or even know thousands of people? Uh, most pastors, missionaries, whatever— ministry workers in cities that I know would be fortunate to know even a thousand people in a city of maybe millions. Well, what's the difference between maybe having influence on thousand people in the city versus maybe having influence on a thousand people in a small town? Yeah, we, we all have a certain relational capacity. Don't exactly. We? we get our circles of influence and stay within those. And I would even argue uh, that in a small town you have more potential to have influence among those thousand because you're Hmm. living in a context of social intimacy. Hmm. So you're in community with each other. You're living life. You're rubbing shoulders with each other. You're speaking into each other's lives uh, day in and and day out. And, And so like 
if I'm a pastor, say, in a city, and I go into a restaurant, I got an appointment with somebody, the only person who knows me is the guy sitting across the table from me. If I go to a restaurant or a cafe in a small town, and I enter a cafe, and I'm the pastor, everybody knows me, and I have the opportunity to go from table to table and have influence on that entire cafe, because I'm in a context of social intimacy. And I have time and time again seen uh, pastors and others who are doing ministry in small places have what I think is actually greater influence and greater impact, perhaps, than many that are serving in city context. So it's not limiting, is what I want to say. Uh, necessarily. It's really not limiting to go to more remote and smaller population. God may use you just as much there, if not more, as in other places. I think it was when I was in Morton that I heard uh, heard somebody, maybe uh, you or one of your associates, say, we're not in the middle of nowhere, we're in the middle of everywhere. Exactly. Did I hear that from you? Yeah, or, or? actually, well, actually, one of our board members of RHMA, who is a pastor, who has a church out in what many people would say is nowhere, uh, he, yeah, he, he liked to say, I'm not in the middle of nowhere, I'm in the middle of everywhere. Yeah, I love and that. over time, he had people coming to his church from, I think he said, like more than 20 outlying communities, and he's out there in the middle of a cornfield uh, with his church, so it's, it's, yeah. an, it's amazing. And another way to look at it is it's not nowhere, it's somewhere, if there are people there whom God loves. Yeah, it is somewhere. And uh, so we we try to gently correct language when people use the the phrase, oh, you're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and we say, you do. This, this is somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, somewhere special. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For, for people who uh, are thinking of hearing this, thinking about this in terms of their own possible future ministry, maybe seminary students or others, um, apart from what you guys do in the TACT course, what are some of the personal qualities, traits that people ought to be intentionally developing in order to be able to serve well in in that type of environment? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think it's something that really needs to be given careful attention to. Uh, I, w- I would say several things. One is just having a good attitude. Um, I, I think of... a. RHMA church planter years ago. They grew up in the Pacific Northwest, beautiful mountains, trees, and they moved to a an impoverished small town in the middle of the Arizona desert. And they, years later, were telling me, we decided that we were going to like it there even if we didn't. Uh. And I think that's powerful. So uh, just having a, a good attitude about where you're going, I think, is, is so key. Um, I think unconditionally loving people, respecting people who are different from us is really important. Uh, if we don't, people will pick up on that really quickly. I think a willingness to give up. Um, We may have to give up some of our cultural norms. We may need to give up, uh, you know, some of the amenities of life. Uh, A lot of small towns don't have Starbucks anywhere close or something like that. So there are things that we have to be willing to give up. Uh, People sometimes on the same wavelength as you. I mean, sometimes you 
you think, wow, that's that's tough not to have anybody that's on the same wavelength. So we just have to be willing to, to give up some things. Uh, willingness to adapt is really, really key. Uh, we can't expect people in our community to adapt to who we are. Um, we have to be willing to adapt uh, to who they are. And then I think just being teachable, um, having humility. Um, people love to teach. Um, and when we go into communities, it's just wonderful to ask questions of people who live there. Uh, get to know them and, and how they think and, and uh, why they do things the way they do and that sort of thing. And not just go in with the attitude of, I'm here to teach you, which, which we are. We're there to teach and preach the Word of God, mm -hmm. but that we have a lot to learn. So go in there as learners as well. I, I got a good dose of that when I was out and audited the TACT course some years ago, and I really appreciated those field trips or immersions you took us on. And I, I remember standing on, on one guy's farm with, uh, in, a, in a circle with the students and uh, with a number of people from the community, local. I think there was a, a, corn, a crop farmer, a, a, a pig farmer, and maybe a few others. And I was uh, just deeply moved by how these, uh, how these guys spoke about what they did for a living and how thoughtful they were about it from a, a sort of stewardship perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, they thought deeply about the land. They thought deeply about what they, what they put in the land. And I remember one of the guys, I don't recall his name, but I remember him saying, uh, I inherited this farm from my father. I intended to pass, to pass it on to my children, and I want to leave this, this soil in better condition uh, than I received it. And, and he, was not, um, he was not an organic farmer. He was a conventional commercial farmer, but he thought deeply and carefully about what he did with that land because he, he knew it was a gift and he wanted to pass it on better than he received it. And I was I'm very touched by that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, farmers who are believers uh, take very seriously stewardship of the land. And uh, they're mindful also probably better than most that uh, uh, they're not in control of a lot of things in their lives. And the truth is that we're not even in the cities either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they know that a lot of, a lot of what they do uh, uh, may be worthless when all gets said and done because you could have weather impact. You could have One hail some, storm. some crisis overseas that impacts the markets yeah. and on and on you go. And so I'm just uh, enormously impressed by how by their faith and how they just trust the sovereignty of God time and time again uh, with their work and with their perspective on, on what they do day in and day out. Yeah, they are teaching. Yeah, they absolutely, really absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Ron, give us uh, maybe a couple of uh, good resources people can go to, whether they're uh, other groups or other good books uh, like your own uh, that they could go to to learn more about yeah. what's going on in rural ministry. There is something happening in rural ministry today that is incredibly encouraging. And in, in the last few years, I think uh, folks have woke up to a world out there that's really probably not too far away from most where most everybody lives. And so there actually have been a number of good books that have been written 
uh, just in the last five years. Uh, you can find those books on RHMA's website. We okay. have a list of them. Just click on resources, and, and you'll, you'll find them there. There are a number of ministry organizations that have been launched just in the last five years. Uh, Gospel Coalition does a lot with rural ministry. Uh, Acts 29 has their uh, rural uh, arm. Uh, rural Matters Institute at the Billy Graham Center with mm-hmm. Ed Stetzer just been launched. I just spent some time with Ed just last week. Um, there's a number of things things happening. There is an awakening that's happening, and I am so excited. I've been in min- rural ministry for 30 years. I've not seen anything like what I'm seeing in the last even two to three years, and I just have a real sense of anticipation what God's going to do to these largely forgotten people uh, right in our own backyard. Yeah, that's great. Ron, thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I, I've enjoyed this so much. This has been great to have you here. We're, we've been visiting with Ron Clausen, uh, Executive Director of the Rural Home Missionary Association in Morton, Illinois, and Overseer of the PACT program courses. And we want to commend those uh, to you and those resources to you. hope this has been of, of encouragement, enlightenment, benefit. Um, if uh, this or, or anything else you find on Engage360 uh, has been beneficial to you, or if you think it might be beneficial to somebody you know, please uh, tell them about us. Uh, tweet it or put it on your Instagram or your Facebook or something, but please let them know so we can, uh, we can serve uh, even more people, uh, hopefully as we're serving you. And please communicate with us as well. You can email us, podcast at denverseminary.edu. We would love to hear from you. Uh, please give us a, a rating or a review on your plat- podcast platform if you don't mind taking just a moment to do that. Hey, for all of uh, our production team here at Denver Seminary, and to uh, especially Sean Truman, who's on our team and is on the boards today, I want to give a word of thanks to them and thanks to you for listening from everybody here at Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, and we hope to talk to you again next week. Take care.